0: Hello, thanks for tuning in to the West Side Podcast. This is where we're gonna be posting some of the audio from our gatherings on Sundays, and we're hoping to develop some other content that we're excited to share with you in the future. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus, step by step. And we really hope that this podcast helps you do just that. We hope it helps you get closer to Jesus. We hope that you would be reconciled to God and not only that, be reconciled to the relationships around you and to the city that you live in, wherever that happens to be. Again, thanks for tuning in, and enjoy. G'day, everybody. So, I'm not from these parts. I uh, I was born in Australia, um, and actually lived part of my life in Argentina as a missionary kid and then came over to finish some of my studies in California, met a girl, uh, you know how that goes, and uh, we <laughs> fell in love uh, and we, we've had three children and we've got 10 grandchildren now, which is amazing. Uh, and it's great to be here with you. I remember you being there. I can't believe it's like 22 years ago. You were really young and good-looking back then. Um, <clears throat> so sarcasm is my love language. Aussies tend to be sarcastic. Okay, well, I've got a message I want to share with you today uh, that comes from this, uh, this book, like Brooks said. Uh, 35 years ago, uh, we went to Denver to, to start our Youth with a Mission training center there with five people. Twenty-five years into our time, uh, we encountered something. We went through something I wouldn't wish on anyone. A former student uh, who had backslidden and turned away from God uh, was bitter at the church and YWAM, came into our one of our dormitories one night and asked to stay the night. He was planning to actually commit a massacre. He wasn't allowed to. One of the girls said, no, you, you can't just stay for the night. He pulled out a nine-millimeter pistol and shot four of them. Uh, two of them died that night. Uh, it was a real tragic event. Uh, how could something like that happen in a Christian ministry? And, and why would God allow it to happen? Uh, as I travel around, I find this is the main question uh, many have, especially Kids, uh, young adults have this question about God. Uh, if God was truly just, they reason, bad things would only happen to bad people. Uh, if God was love or is love, as the Bible claims, why is there so much suffering in the world he created? And there's no easy answers for that. Uh, but it led me to to write this book. I began, it's called When the Shooting Stopped. And I began to just tell the story because actually there's some amazing Miraculous things that took place as a result of this, uh, where thousands of people recommitted their lives to the Lord and came to the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> but you know how it is with the Lord. Sometimes you you begin on on a pathway and He taps you on the shoulder and says, that, "Well, actually, I've got a slightly different idea of what I want you to do." And I felt like God wanted me to to defend His character related to all different types of suffering in the world. So I narrowed it down to 10 sources of suffering, uh, and where's God in the midst of that? And so I look at everything through the lens of Scripture. We're going to look at many different passages of Scripture tonight. If you have a Bible uh, with you, great. Uh, If you don't, uh, just scoot over next to a Christian and uh, (laughs) read along (laughs) Okay, so the title of my message, this is, this is one of the chapters, one of the sources of suffering in the world is that there is a battle that is going on in the heavenly realm. So the title of this is The Battle Behind the Battle. I want to suggest to you that the reality that the predominantly um, materialistic world around us believes is the ultimate reality is not the ultimate reality. There is more going on behind the scenes. Uh, There is a cosmic war that is going on. It's a a battle for the hearts and minds of men, women, and children. Uh, It's a battle for cities and for nations. And ultimately, it's a battle for the right to rule this planet. Uh, But it's not a physical battle. So Ephesians 6.12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. That word age is the word eon in Greek, which refers to a, a period of time when Satan is empowered to do certain things. I didn't grow up with Halloween, but I noticed around Halloween that happens in this nation. And there are times when people, by their evil acts, create a uh, a place for demonic forces to operate. And that's the word eon there. The, the rulers of the darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Uh, it's not a physical battle. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 Tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The word is sarkikos there, that means earthly or physical, but they are powerful in God for pulling down strongholds. That term, strongholds, refers to the powers of darkness. Satan himself is called the strong man. He's not weak, he's strong. Now just remember, He's nothing compared to our God, and greater is the one in us than the one who's in the world. But let's not fool ourselves into thinking that this this is nothing. There is a war that is going on for this planet, as well as for cities and individual nations. How did the battle begin? Well, I'm a context-type person. I like to have context. How many are context people? Okay, so I'm going to give you a little context. I've been accused of giving too much context. Sometimes, uh, you know, you ask me the time and I give you the history of the watch. Uh, I won't do that. <clears throat> but, but for context, let's go back, piece some things together throughout the Scriptures that really bring some clarity of how this battle began. Uh, first of all, God created everything there is, Right? He is the creator of the whole universe. The known universe today is 90 billion light years across. I think as as it, men invent greater telescopes, God just creates a little more universe so we never get to the end of it. Okay, but he created this world, this planet, in all its beauty. Um, the skeptic would say, uh, well, how can you say God created everything? Uh, because... You know, clearly the planet is a lot older than the 6,000-year chronology of the human race. You know, according to Bible chronology, we've been around 6,000 years. Clearly the planet's a lot older than that. Well, you know, maybe there was some stuff that went on before that God didn't tell us. He has a hard enough time getting us to read a book that big, you know. (laughs) So there's some things he might have left out. But maybe there's another explanation. Maybe, Maybe he created the planet already with history. Could he create the planet already old? Do you think God might be able to do that? I mean, think of this. <clears throat> when Adam was one day old, how how old was he? Well, he wasn't a baby. He was a fully grown man in the prime of life. You know, somewhere in his fi- his 20s. Almost said 50s. <clears throat> or think of Jesus' first miracle in Cana of Galilee. He turned the water into Wine, But that wine had no time to ferment or mature. But according to the wedding guests, it was the best wine of the evening, right? God could do that, couldn't he? I have to tell you a joke I heard the other day. Uh, <clears throat> there was a priest driving down the road and he wasn't staying in his lane. And the policeman <clears throat> flipped on his lights, pulled him over and uh, came up to the driver's side window and, and, and said, uh, driver's license. And, and then he noticed it was a priest. And then he was pretty sure he could smell alcohol. And he, and he said, Father, have you been drinking? And the, the priest said, no. And, and he said, what, what do you have in that container there? And, and the priest said, it's just water. And he said, give me that con-. And he, So he took the container, he poured it out. It was red wine. And he looked at the priest. And the priest said, praise Jesus, he did it again. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> God could have created the planet already with history. Go back to the scripture. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 uh, tells us all things were created that are created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, two categories to God's creation, the things we can see with these physical eyes, but then there's a whole other part where we can't see these things, mainly spiritual beings. And then the Apostle Paul goes on to talk about four categories of spirits, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, and this is the part we can't afford to miss. They were not bad guys to begin with because it says they were created through him and for him. But then things went sideways. Something happened We're not sure exactly when it is, but as far as we know, this was the first evil act that ever occurred in the history of the universe. One of the beings that God created was a very beautiful angel. His name was was Shining One. We're most familiar with his name in Latin, which is Lucifer. But that's his name, Shining One, or it's translated Morning Star uh, as well. He was a leader. He was very beautiful. But he became proud and violent, we're told. There are several passages in the Bible which sometimes are overlooked because of a case of mistaken identity. One of these is Ezekiel 28. In Ezekiel 28, uh, beginning in verse uh, 12 What Bible scholars believe is the prophet began prophesying against this evil king, and then he realized, wait a minute, this is the devil who's operating through this man, either by possessing the man or maybe impersonating the king, because angelic beings have that power of transmutation. They can come in human, human form. Think of the three guys that showed up at Abraham's house one was God, the other two were angels that went down to Sodom and Gomorrah. We've been told that we've shown hospitality to angels, and we didn't realize it. So if someone came to your house and was seven foot tall and white and had wings, you might think he or she was an angel. But if you've done it without knowing, then that being didn't look like an angel. And so scholars believe that this he began the prophecy against an earthly king and then quickly realized, wait a minute, this is actually Satan operating through him because he talks about him being in the Garden of Eden. Well, the king of Tyre wasn't in the Garden of Eden. Isaiah, which is Isaiah if you're American, uh, he had also a similar vision of the king of Babylon. And, uh, and, and before you, you go on, see, it talks about, if you keep on reading here in Ezekiel that he became proud and violent within. But this was his big sin. Isaiah had the similar type of vision. In Isaiah 14, verse 14, he said, uh, this was what this shining being, this beautiful being God created wanted, which was to be equal with God. How could this finite created being think that he could be equal with God? Well, I want to suggest to you that pride is a great deceiver. And those who begin going down the pathway of prideful thoughts begin to think of themselves more highly than they ought to think. I think he thought he could be equal with God, as crazy as that thought is. And so he launched an attack to overthrow God's kingdom. Most of the book of Revelation relates to the future some argue that it relates to the present, present, but some of it, Bible scholars believe, was a flashback to something that had taken place in the past, this cosmic battle that took place. And we find in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, I mean, when when you begin reading it, it, it strikes you, doesn't it? And war broke out in heaven. Wow. This was the first Star Wars. I hope God has it on tape I want to see it one day when I'm up there okay just picture what this would look like war broke out in heaven and it says Michael and his angels this is not the final battle by the way the final battle will be Jesus himself coming back on a white horse with the with the name faithful and true on his thigh and satan will be cast out forever this was one of the other archangels called Michael a battle ensued and satan was cast out of heaven to the earth jesus recalling this event, said in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, I saw Satan fall from the sky like lightning. Satan's goal, his ultimate goal is world domination. He already has his foot in the door because of sin. It began with Adam and Eve, of course, and when they sinned, it empowered him in a greater way. Now, why they sinned, God, God, just think about it, God only gave them one bad option. (laughs) I mean, didn't God stack the deck for them? Uh, I mean, they could have eaten from any tree in the whole garden. They ate from the one forbidden tree that broke off their relationship with God, but it also gave Satan a foothold. When Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan at Jericho. He was taken immediately into the wilderness. And guess who showed up? Satan showed up and he had a plan to deceive Jesus. And what he did, because Satan's deception is not just lies, it's lies mixed with truth. That's what trips people up many times. And he even used scripture out of context. And every time that he used scripture out of context, what did Jesus say? It is Written, he came back with the Logos, the written word of God, and refuted what Satan was trying to spend. In the middle of this, Satan takes Jesus up on a high mountain. Can you go to that scripture? Luke chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world. It must have been in a vision at that time. All the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said, All this authority I'll give to you in their glory. He he had said, if you'll bow down and worship me, because this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. And you're waiting for Jesus to say, this does not belong to you. But Jesus does not refute that statement. Who gave the kingdoms of the world to him? We did, because of our sin. Now, I just want to encourage us that the battle is not over yet, and I, I, I flip to the end of the book, and we win, okay? But there is a war that is going on. For some reason, God has chosen a strategy, and the strategy is to use you and me. Why not angels? Well, I don't know. You can ask him one day when you see him, but his strategy is to use the church. Okay, before we get there and we talk about this strategy, we have to point out that Satan is a finite created being. He is not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time. In the book of Job, we see that he is not infinite. The word infinite means unlimited. Something finite is something limited. God is infinite. He's unlimited. Satan and, and God is unlimited in his knowledge, in his power, in his presence. He's everywhere at once. Satan isn't everywhere at once. God said, where have you come from? He wasn't everywhere at once. He was traveling throughout the earth. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. God said in Job 1.8, have you considered my servant Job? He hadn't considered him until that moment. And then in verse 10, He says, but I can't touch him because you've put a hedge of protection around him. He's not omnipotent either. Satan is finite. He's not omniscient, omnipotent, or omnipresent like God is. But he's still very powerful. He's empowered on a regional level. Now, please understand, I'm not sharing this message to engrandize Satan, but to expose him. This is the truth of what he is up to in the world today because his goal is world domination. He's empowered on a regional level. He's empowered through people and Geography. Demography and geography through people groups and a map of the world. That's how he mobilizes his forces. His thrones, dominions and principalities and powers, these spiritual beings, his goal is to infiltrate human authority systems and control them for his glory. like like the family and education and arts and entertainment and government and even the church and business. That's his goal, is to infiltrate those principalities so that he can use them for his purposes. That's his goal. And we see this throughout history that many times it is actually geographical. And by the way, revival is geographical too. We call them by geographical names. When the Spirit of God moves through spiritual awakening, like the Azusa Street Revival or the Welsh Revival, and it's located in places where he has been given authority. But that's where the church comes in to say, no, you may not have this authority, but that's his goal is to take authority in places and control them. Well, where do we find this in the Bible? Uh, every, everyone say, where's that in the Bible? Go ahead. Okay, well, I'm getting to them. Just give me a second. Okay, so <clears throat> the greatest deliverance in the New Testament, we read about it, where Jesus sailed to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and a man came down from the burial tombs in Gadara, and Jesus said, what's your name? And he said, legion, for we are many. And then the demon spoke through the man, Mark chapter 5, verse 10. And he begged them not to send them out of the area. Korah is the word there. He begged them not to send them out. In my version, it says country, but the word there is for territory or a geographical location. Why was it? That the demons didn't want to be sent to a different location. Probably because the people of the village there who lost the pigs, the 2,000 pigs, then <clears throat> who committed suicide when the demons went into them, probably had not been involved in evil acts that created a safe place for these demonic forces to operate in that location. You can feel it if you travel. If you've traveled, you know you can go to places and you can feel tempted in certain areas. I remember one time I was on my way to Freetown, Sierra Leone. The plane stopped in Guinea, in Conakry, Guinea, and the last leg of my journey could not be completed because the airline had gone bankrupt. And so they said, there's a ferry the next day you can catch to Sierra Leone. So I went on a taxi, stayed close to the port area that night. I was terrified for my life. I knew I was going to die. I'm not normally a fearful person. My natural set of temptations, the sins that easily entangle me, that I have to keep away, are different. Not fear, but I was afraid. And then ran down at daylight and paid my bill and went down, got on the, the boat, and as we sailed out to sea, the fear was no longer there. And I realized it wasn't coming from within. It was in that place. When you drive through Las Vegas, you can feel it. I felt lust in Amsterdam and loneliness in Tokyo. And there are prevailing spirits that are in places because of things that have happened that have empowered Satan. Satan cannot do anything he wants to do. He operates within boundaries, but people give him that authority many times. This nation right now is at war. Okay, because why? Why would this be a target right now? I want to tell you, as as someone who's not American, I mean, this is my adopted nation, but this nation is a leader in the world. And when a leader falls, it has a ripple effect that impacts many other nations. And so how is God going to win this war? Well, he has a strategy, but it's a strange strategy. If I was God, I think... Brooks I don't know if I'd come up with this strategy thankfully God knows what he's doing but this is his strategy he's decided that the church should take the lead that's us okay why not angels I mean they're more powerful than us right Hebrews 2:7 says we were made lower than the angels even Jesus in his physical form was lower than the angels why not them I mean, and there are millions of them. Do you know there are at least a 100 million angels? Because we're told that the number of the angels is 10,000 times 10,000. That's a 100 million, okay? All of us have angels assigned to us. We can't see them most of the time. Sometimes I think we thought it was a person. Actually, it might've been our guardian angel. (laughs) I had... I had the opportunity to be involved in a project last year called 365 Christian men. We're doing 365 Christian women next, but we, we took 365 stories of great men of God throughout history. And it's totally free. It, it's just a podcast. You can listen to 5 minutes on your way to work, work every day. The number's 365christianmen.com. <clears throat> and one of them, I've got to tell you this story, was a pastor called John Patton and his wife who went to the New Hebrides as missionaries. The New Hebrides today is called Vanuatu. It's in the what we call the liquid continent, which is the South Pacific. There are about 30 nations in the liquid continent. Vanuatu is one of them. <clears throat> the natives didn't like them bringing the gospel to their people, and one night surrounded the missionaries' house intent on burning it down with torches. And John Patton and his wife began to pray. And they prayed, and they prayed, kept looking out the window. Two in the morning, they're still there. Four in the morning, at daybreak, they left. About a year later, the chief surrendered his life to Christ. And remembering what had happened, Pastor Patton asked him, remember about a year ago, Uh, You came to burn our house down. What kept you from doing that? And the chief said, well, who were those men you had with you there? And Pastor Patton said, there were no men with us there, just my wife and me. And he said, no, no, there were large men standing around the perimeter of your house, and we couldn't get closer. They weren't human beings, okay? They were angels. This is the biblical Understanding God gives us of what's, to, of what's taking place. He created everything, things visible and things invisible. And the predominantly materialistic world that has infiltrated many times our mindset is we mainly believe in the things we can touch and see. And I want to suggest to you the Bible gives a different picture of reality. So, how are we going to win this battle if He's called the church to do this? Well, Romans 16, 20, the point is clear. He wants to crush Satan under our feet. So how's he going to do it? Well, I want to give you three weapons. There's many more, but I want to give you three right now uh, for the sake of time. One of them is discernment, the gift of discernment. What, What is discernment? Discernment is seeing things as they really are, not as they appear. This is the role of a prophet. In the Old Testament, a prophet was originally called a seer. Okay, someone who could see what was going on. Here's an example of discernment. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15 through 17. Are we able to pull up that passage? Okay, there we are. The servant of the man of God, his name was Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, saw the enemy coming, and he freaked out, and he called the prophet. And the prophet saw the enemy, but he saw the host of the Lord ready to protect them. But he didn't tell Gehazi. He said, Lord, open the eyes of the boy. And it says, scales fell from his eyes, and he could see. And behold, look at the end. Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Okay, Who is going to see this? There need to be those watchmen on the wall, watch women on the wall who can warn the enemy is coming, who can mobilize people to pray. And that's our second weapon. So the second weapon is unified, persistent prayer. Discernment was meant to be connected to prayer. Especially, I think women pray more than men. And Jesus said one time in Luke chapter. 18, verse 1, he said, I want men to pray everywhere and not lose heart because we give up too quickly because we want to go out and make things happen on our own, but we need to pray and keep on praying. And you know what faith is? Here's the definition of faith. Praying until dot, dot, dot. Praying until, that's what faith is. Uh, Daniel chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. This is an amazing passage. I want to set the context for this. If you go back in history and you read what was happening in history, this is what was taking place. The people, God's people, had been taken captive to Babylon. But it had been prophesied there would be there 70 years. This event took place about 68 to 69 years into their captivity. Daniel, knowing the prophecy, began to pray. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. A week, two weeks, nothing was happening. What's wrong? 15, 16, 19, 20 days, nothing is happening. Well, something was happening. He just couldn't see it. On the 21st day, Gabriel arrives on the scene. One of the other archangels, out of breath. A little bit of angel blood on his forehead. I might have made that part up. But anyway, he said, the first day you started praying, God heard you and he sent me. Now, I would think God sends an archangel, the battle is over like that. But he said, the prince of Persia withstood me and it took three weeks and Michael had to come and help me. And then he said, and we defeated him and now we have to go fight the prince of Greece. What happened in history at this time? Within two years, less than two years of this event The greatest empire of that day, the year was 539 BC, the Neo-Babylonian Empire was overthrown. It was the end of that superpower of their day. What a coincidence that it happened that quickly. It was no coincidence. It's that the, the prince of Persia was eradicated. Wow, prayer is a powerful weapon that God has given to us, isn't it? Discernment, seeing. Not what the world sees, but seeing what's going on and then praying until. And could I have the worship team if you could come back up? And I want to give you one more. <clears throat> I don't know what the future holds, but I know what can impact the outcome of the future. And repentance is one of those things. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, See, someone would say, but how do you get a whole nation to repent? You don't have to. You just have to get the church to repent. And then he says, "I will heal their land." And the significance of God's healing and breakthrough is found in the previous verse. Look at 2 Chronicles 7:13. They were in a time of drought, and there was a plague on the land. And God said, "But if my people will humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land." That's significant. You can't repent for somebody else. You can only repent for yourself. But there's something that moves the hand of God when we acknowledge our sin as a people. Daniel did this. Joshua did it. I wrote one scripture down. Uh, I can't remember which one did I give you, the last scripture. Daniel, he, he prayed and he confessed his own sin and the sins of the people. And I want to tell you what happened to me a number of years ago. We went with a bunch of YWAMers to Argentina to share the gospel. And the Argentine people are very proud people. They come mainly from a European background. And we had 300 of us in this one city of Córdoba sharing the gospel. No one wanted to hear the gospel. And then God gave our leaders a strategy. And this was the strategy. Tomorrow morning, Go down to the main city plaza in downtown Córdoba. Get on your knees. Confess your own sins of pride and prejudice. And then confess those sins of the Argentine people. I wish I haven't come across anyone who was there who has a tape of this. I wish someone had taped it because the next day hundreds of people were coming to us. We didn't didn't do anything different. Except humble ourselves and repent for our sin, and we confess the sins of the people. People were getting saved. It was unbelievable the difference. Identificational repentance. And so as we, as we go into this last song, I just want to invite you: Would you be able to come to the altar and? You know, I grew up in the Anglican church. My dad was an Anglican minister in Australia. And Anglicans, we get a lot of exercise in church because you stand and you kneel and you do that about 20 times. And uh, But people are kneeling for a lot of reasons, but the main reason we should kneel is to humble ourselves before God. And I would like to just pray for your nation, for my adopted nation for the United States tonight. That God would pour out His Spirit again. There have been revivals that have happened in this land before. Wouldn't you like to see another outpouring of God's Spirit? Oh, When the times are darkest, God pours out His Spirit. And so it's okay if you want to just stay where you are, but I just wonder if some of us couldn't just come kneel. You could kneel where you are, but come to the altar, and I'd like to lead us in prayer before we we go into this song. Lord, we confess that we don't deserve your mercy, but that's just the point. We deserve death, but you gave us life. Jesus, while we were yet in our sins, you died for us. And God, we pray for this world. We pray, for, pray for tonight for this nation for this state of Oregon, for this city of Eugene. God, would you come by your Spirit and do a mighty work? God, we've drifted from you. Bring us back to yourself. We come to the altar tonight and we humble ourselves and ask, Lord, that you would do what men can't do, what women can't do. You can do in seconds what we've been trying to do for years. Pray you do that again.